Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. Several years ago, I saw a news story that took place in Milwaukee during Christmas, and an elderly man was the focus of that story. He was a retiree who was wandering around the crowded suburbs of Milwaukee and gave everyone he saw $1,000. He remarked that he had plenty of money, but no heirs, and He also realized that most people did not have plenty of money, and he didn't want people to worry and panic during the holidays. So he gave money to everyone who passed by. Sadly, I have yet to meet this man. Uh, One of those people uh, interviewed by the press soon after he was handed the money was 34-year-old Jason McGee, who confessed on camera that he was homeless as well as a heroin addict. He was unexpectedly given not $1,000, but $2,000 from this anonymous secret Santa who looked at Jason and said to him, I can tell that you're a good man. I just know it. Jason's face became immediately red and hot tears trickled down his cheeks. And he said to the cameras, normally I would blow this on dope, but now I know I have to get to rehab. This is too crazy and now I have no choice. Well, that's grace. Uh, is it Matthew chapter 13 speaks of a secret Santa episode, but this secret Santa takes the form of a wild-eyed farmer who scatters the word throughout the world. And I want to do two things in this sermon tonight. I want to talk about the parable of the sower, and then in light of Jesus' words, I want to talk about church planting. Now, our text, or the text within our bulletin for Matthew 13, skips some material. Some of you noticed that. It skips some material in the middle um, between Jesus' public pronouncement of this parable and his private unpacking of that parable with his apprentices. In the middle section that was taken out, Jesus explains to his disciples why he teaches in parables because they thought it was weird. Uh, We can't go over that territory tonight, but I invite you to read it at some point because the reason that Jesus gives for why he uses parables might not be the one that we often think of or purport to other people. We often think that Jesus told simple stories to communicate complicated truths. Well, not according to Jesus, but just read it in your own leisure. But uh, I would like to explore a little bit what was read to you tonight. Uh, The first thing I want to point out is the generosity of the farmer, the generosity of the farmer. Uh, I'd like to reread the first portion of the text, if you would please read that with me. This is from verse 3. Jesus said, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. 
Uh, we witness the farmer's shocking liberality in his approach to farming or in his approach to sowing, scattering seed. Uh, notice how much from a human perspective he just wastes. I mean, not a great track record. The first three out of four examples of context fail the farmer. Did you notice that? Now, he more than makes up with it, given the immense crop of the last category, but the first three contexts are poor contexts for a crop. Notice he throws it onto paths where no one ever harvests things because that's where people walk. He hurls it on top of rocks where no one plants gardens, and then he chucks it into, like, thorns where no crops have ever been planted before because the ground hasn't been prepared. Lastly, he casts some upon good soil. And later, uh, when Jesus unveils the meaning of this parable, we discover that we are these contexts. These contexts are the ones whom you see in the mirror. He's talking about people. In other words, what Jesus is saying is God is the farmer, God the farmer is grabbing handfuls of precious, life-giving, organic material that that creates the very things we need for the sustaining of life, yes, and casts it, casts this material toward people that don't deserve it, right? That are not ready to receive it. And he does this, it seems, with most of his material. So uh, he casts it toward spleeny atheists with their hands clutching, you know, like the latest screed by Richard Dawkins. I would pay for his therapy. Um, he, ca he casts it toward achy moms who are like obsessed with workout regiments and are constantly irritated with their children. He throws seed toward middle-aged men whose careers are making them into agitated monsters, uh, toward grad school ideologues who ex excoriate the world for being unenlightened, unlike them, for, uh, toward suicidally depressed elders who are barely holding on to a dismal life, and to zombified children who watch TV for eight hours a day. That is us. He throws it toward us, toward the lot of us. Now, you've heard the old trope from Benjamin Franklin, waste not, want not. It's not in the Bible, but most people think that many of Ben Franklin's sayings are. Um, um, but this notion is, don't squander the goods you've got. You might need them tomorrow. Now, that's not terrible advice. I mean, you know, you could have, like, worse advice. Like, there's a cliff. Like, see how far you can jump. I mean, like, there are worse things that could be said, but it seems like God is not obeying Benjamin Franklin. He was a founding father. Can you, can you believe such a thing? But, but, the, but the Lord and Ben are not on the same page. And, you know, uh, because, um, because God isn't sensible. God is not sensible. He's not guarded. Uh, he's not spleeny. He's not particular. He's not, um, he's not withholding. Instead, um, he is profoundly generous, scattering this seed regardless of the receptivity of the context. And what makes it even wilder is the farmer knows where the good ground is to be found. After all, the farmer is God. But he still casts the seed indiscriminately, whether the soil is worthy or unworthy, responsive or unresponsive. You know, even the good responsive soil isn't equally responsive. Did you notice that? I mean, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Why wouldn't the farmer just like cast the seed in the 100 fold area, right? That would make the most sense and would waste less of the product. But nevertheless, he doesn't seem to be interested in those, uh, in those restrictions. Now, from a human perspective, 
anybody who would engage this way in life in any area would fall under my criticism and critique because it seems wasteful and stupid and irresponsible. And I am so glad that God does not act according to Ethan's moral calculus. Because who would be saved then? I'm not generous enough. I'm guessing you might not be either. I am glad that God doesn't work according to our schematics, but instead seems to indiscriminately cast the seed all over the world. It's a good thing, too, that God acts graciously. It's the very reason you're here. You wouldn't be otherwise. So that's the generosity of the farmer. And let's consider, too, the gift of the farmer, <clears throat> which is seed. Now, what's a seed? A seed is a universe of potential in something that is so small that you might miss it. The, the, the sequoias, the redwoods of California, uh, grew from something that your eyes might miss. Right? All this potential locked into a very small bit of organic material. I think that's important to note that the farmer is casting something that can have a life of its own. Because Jesus doesn't like the spreading of the kingdom to a man throwing gravel around indiscriminately or kids chucking toys around their rooms. Instead, he speaks of something small that contains vitality, something that can grow. This theme keeps coming back in Jesus' parables again and again. The kingdom is a seed. You don't think much of a seed until it starts to grow. And then all of a sudden, it can dominate the landscape. Huh. Well, the seed requires something in order to come to its destiny, its fulfillment. And what the seed needs is the right context, a good context in order to work properly. Some people say to me, you know, I don't understand why the gospel doesn't always take root. You know, I've, I've been telling my friend about Jesus and about the reliability of the resurrection for a long time, but it, it's like it's white noise to them. It's just not, it's not sinking in. And sometimes we think, well, there must be a mistake with the product. It's like, no, it's the soil. Like something's, something in the soil is making it an inhospitable environment for the receptivity of that uh, seed. See, the word, the, the, the word of God, the seed, um, always exists in relationship and always flourishes when somebody is open. And so what we pray is that God morphs people into soil that, that's receptive. <clears throat> so there's this Taoist proverb that I really like, which is the master will only appear when the student is finally silent. The master will only appear when the student is finally silent. What does that mean? The student has to die to their ego. The fact that they think they know all the right answers or all the right questions to ask, they have to be silent and diminished. And it's only then that there's a sense in them that they have a need for something that the master has. Yeah? And so that's what happens uh, to make soil good. Um, and when the seed it meets that good soil, that open heart, it roots, it grows, and then notice what happens. It, that very seed, becomes a sower of sorts, becomes a farmer of sorts, because this organic thing that grows up now itself can produce a crop, because it itself will cast seed all over the field. And what is the seed in Jesus' parable? He tells us in verse 19. It's the word of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom in other words, what Jesus is saying, is the world, our big old planet, is this open field. And it has a lot of paths and a lot of rocks and a lot of thorns 
uh, and it's often very dicey territory and frequently antagonistic toward the design of its own maker. Nevertheless, God has not given up on it, but is sending something small and minuscule that looks almost ridiculously unimportant. And through that very thing, he will remake the landscape and geography forever through the seed that he's sowing into the kingdom. Uh, Jesus seems to suggest that God's empire, God's domain is coming into the world like that. It looks small, but it will have a grand effect. Jesus even said that about his own life. He compared himself to a seed, right? Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it can't produce anything. Speaking of his own crucifixion. And Jesus, in his death and resurrection, is the definitive face and most obvious uh, obvious face of that kingdom coming into the world. In other words, the world outside of God is a place of blood sports and cruelty and injustice and hostility and negative feeling and unprocessed dark material. But now that the kingdom is here, the empire of light is here, the word of that kingdom is here, uh, well, now there's, there's, um, there's a powerful antithesis to what the world has to offer. And that antithesis comes in the face of Jesus Christ. And so that seed, friends, the seed of the kingdom, that's reality. The kingdom of God is reality. God's design for the world is reality. Sin is unreality. And the kingdom of God is designed to upend unreality, to upend a world of injustice and distraction and unhealth uh, in order to tell the true story of the world and to make us veritable crop-like sowers of truth with 30, 60, or 100-fold results. Okay, so that's something about the generosity of the farmer and the gift of the farmer. And now, let me segue uh, to something about church planning. And I love this passage that we just read. I love the way it can help us understand the enterprise of church planting. And I want to offer what I hope is an invigorating invitation regarding that very subject. I realize that the term church plant can create all sorts of feelings in people. People can be unaware of what it means. They can be excited by it or even exhausted by it before it even happens, uh, depending on the ears that hear that phrase. Some assume, perhaps based on harrowing past experiences, that linking up with a church plant necessarily means endless, tedious, exhausting service and doing all the tasks that make you want to die inside. Um, Well, I'd like to explain church planting, at least how we're handling it, in such a way that I can hopefully dispel any unnecessary fears, phobias, or burdens that correspond with that concept. Um, First of all, and I think this point is important, why are we planting a church? The reason that we plant churches is because it is the biblical model right from scripture. It is implied in the seed sowing of Jesus Christ, certainly commended in his great commissions. And in the early church from the book of Acts, we see it time and time again, and it's found in the epistles of St. Paul. The assumption from the New Testament is healthy Christian communities start new Christian communities, just as healthy mothers and fathers have children. It also makes sense to plant churches in nearby communities so that they can be resourced by the parent church. Franklin is a very reasonable place for us to plant. It's a nearby community which is in need, desperate need, of a biblical, gospel-oriented, and yet traditional parish. Uh, We have contacts there on the ground who have been praying for this and who want it, and in fact, they would say, need it. And while according to the data, the vast majority of Franklinites 
uh, prefer traditional Christianity, at least in terms of a worship expression, the options for that are withering, as is church attendance in general. And we think, by God's grace, we can and ought to see the kingdom of God sown more robustly in that place, because those people matter, just like you matter. And each of us can be involved if we wish to be. Now, church planting is quite an enterprise, and it involves more than one single planter and his family, however terrific they are. Churches plant churches, not just individuals. It is a communal act of Grace Anglican in Grove City. This does not mean that everyone from Grace Grove City will be involved. And many won't be directly involved at all because many of you, you already have your hands full either in life or here. And that's entirely fine. And we are more than grateful for all the present and consecrated service that you offer. But what I'm saying is anyone who wants to help or wants to come alongside for a little bit of time or a longer time, that's entirely fine. And we are more than grateful for, um, for that opportunity uh, to bring you into that loop. Um, so I would ask you now to grab this uh, bulletin insert that ought to be in your bulletin that says church planting on the top. I'm going to look at it together. These are opportunities for you to uh, offer something uh, to, this, uh, to this new endeavor. Uh, first, I want you to note the campfire. The campfire is an informal gathering at the Phillips's home on September 2nd at 7 p.m. in order for anyone to hear more about the church plant. That's all it takes, just interest. If you're interested in learning more about it or learning more about uh, Eric Phillips uh, and his, uh, and his um, agrarian sensibilities, uh, you can go to his house and learn how he kills turtles and eats them um, <laughs> or about church planting, which is more likely why you'll be there. Uh, you can get details about the planting team and maybe just hear more about it and it might pique your interest. Uh, so there's that. You could sign up for that. You could also sign up to be an intercessor. You never have to drop by Franklin at all, but you could pray for us. Um, you know, no church plant has ever existed or succeeded without serious intercession. Why? Because intercession is the very thing that softens the soil for the seed. I don't know how it works, but it works. Like, I've been a Christian forever, but I haven't understood intercessory prayer. All I know is that the Archbishop of Canterbury, Michael Ramsey, who died in the 60s, was correct when he said, this is like the most highfalutin, intelligent Anglican in the world. And he says, I don't understand how prayer works. All I know is that when I do it, coincidences happen, and when I don't, they didn't. <laughs> and you have to admit that was the best Michael Ramsey impression you've ever heard. <laughs> of course, yes. Um, to quote St. Paul, friends, we intercede because only God gives the growth. Only God gives the growth. Without his inner splicing and behind-the-scenes labor and sometimes his miraculous work, we can do nothing that lasts. We just don't have it in us. Um, so if you'd like to be on our intercessory team, we'd love to send you a monthly newsletter about how you can just pray for us. Uh, currently, please pray for a building in Franklin to rent. There are some options maybe on the table, but we need something to open up for us. Yeah. Also, financial giving. Maybe you'd like to make a special donation to the church plant, viewing it as a worthy kingdom investment. I think it is. And if you are moved in that direction, you can give by making a check out to Grace with plant and the memo line or giving that way via online. Uh, you know, the diocese has already given us $30,000 for this work, and three different churches are now in financial partnership with us. Uh, and they're giving 
like very generously. And so I would just ask you, if you have the means, would you consider this option? Some of you already have, but uh, for others, if you want to, there's the opportunity. Um, also, let me say something about the planting team. It's the next option, along with uh, something regarding students, which I'll get into in a moment. The planting team. We are utilizing two different groups to plant this church. First, we have a leadership team. What is a leadership team? It is a proto-vestry, people that serve for two years to help Eric discern and make decisions regarding the church plant. This team is directly selected by Eric, and it helps to fashion the culture and plans of the new plant. Secondly, there is a planting team. I was calling the, what did I call it before? Like the core team. It's not good. He's the planter. He chooses the lingo now. And it's planting team, which makes sense, right? Yeah, planting team. The planting team, and that's what we'll call it from now on. If I mess that up, correct me. Shoot a rubber band at me. Get my attention. The planting team is a broader, bigger team. And it's open to anybody who wants to participate. People at Grace and people who live directly in Franklin. Put simply, here's what it would mean to be part of the planting team. You agree to drive your car or your van. We have a van now, or as Colin Messer calls it, the hearse for my youth. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I feel it. Um, uh, here's what it means. It would mean that you drive to Franklin and make it your Sunday worship home for one year. One year. Many may wish to continue there for longer. A second year, some indefinitely, but you don't have to. It's a temporary thing. Your physical presence and involvement in this new community will give a few uh, benefits to, to us and to them. It'll give a critical mass to the plant. It will encourage visitors, and it will give a sense of continuity with the original planting body. If those on the planting team wish to volunteer and serve in the Franklin Church, as you occasionally do here at Grace, that would be great but you won't be required to become the Sunday school superintendent or in charge of nursery every Sunday or give a pound of your flesh in some other way and then pretend like you like it. <laughs> in terms of financial giving, some have asked me, Ethan, if I join the planting team, is it okay to give half my offering to Grace Grove City and half to Franklin? And I said, no, it's not okay, and I'll alert the church elders. Oh, wait, that's me. Um, so, like, of course that's okay. We trust your judgment. Um, additionally... Um, until the church in Franklin becomes a self-sustaining entity, which is our ultimate hope, it's okay to think of it as a mission of Grace Anglican or an extension of Grace Anglican's ministry in a new location. That's why we're calling it for the time being Grace for Franklin. We did this sort of thing before in a way. You may remember that our church was planted in Slippery Rock in 2006, and then in 2000 and I believe 13, we, before we left Slippery Rock, while we were still doing services in Slippery Rock, we planted a new grace venue in Grove City, like right across the street in an ice cream parlor. There's a thought, but that's what we did. Um, and that worked. I say all of this to indicate that if you participate on the leadership team, or the broader church planting team, the planting team, it is not like you're leaving Grace Anglican. You are still connected to the ministry of Grace Anglican, albeit in a different location for a while. That's the idea. Now let me say something about students from Grove City College. I'm asking you to play a key role, a key role in this church plant. I'm asking some of you to join this planting team. I speak from experience here. It is absolutely thrilling, sometimes frightening, but thrilling to start a new church. It is deeply and spiritually, and permanently formative. It will shape you for the remainder of your days. It makes you rely upon God, makes you be open to strangers, 
and you get a front row seat to witness the growth of the kingdom of God right before your eyes. Now, the students here, you have helped us in so many ways through the years, but I'm asking for more from you now. Uh, we need you. We need your energy. We need your time. We need your vitality. We need your faith and your love to be localized somewhere else. In Franklin, you can be a kingdom emissary in a new place. And I'm asking for 20 students to join the planting team. We can't do this without you. I made this plug earlier this morning, and I think we're already up to like 18 um, students who are willing to, um, to enter into this. And we need more. Um, we can't do this without you. So I'm asking you if you would consider helping us. Also, musicians to do worship well. We have uh, we need a few consistent, gifted musicians. We've always had amazing musicians at Grace, but um, we need help. We need musical missionaries there too. So this is my invitation to you right now, as I'm speaking, to take this uh, bulletin insert to fill it out and to um, be ready at the end of the service to place it in the offering plate in the back. And if you do, we will get in touch with you like right away, so that you can feel connected to this movement. And some people just want to give a one-time gift, and that's great. Some people want to pray once a week. That's great. Some people want to go up to Franklin just on rare occasions. That's fine, too. Some people will want to take Eric out for a beer. He'll need it. Uh, like, there are ways that you can assist in this thing. Uh, the question is, what about you? What about the Holy Spirit in you? What would the Holy Spirit say to you about this very subject? Now, just to get into the nitty-gritty for one minute, how are we going to start this church plant? We're going to start in the same way that we did in Slippery Rock 15 years ago. We're going to begin with a once-a-month preview service for four months. After that, we'll kick off weekly worship. These monthly worship services give people in Franklin, visitors and inquirers, a taste of what is to come on a week-by-week -week basis. When we did this at Grace Anglican 15 years ago, we, it gave people who were like dissatisfied with their home parishes, an opportunity to check us out without feeling unfaithful to their home bodies. Um, it also uh, built some excitement for the future. Uh, it also it built momentum in a surprising way. And given our bizarre and unpredictable COVID context, I think it's a prudent way at this point to begin. Monthly services clearly show on-the-ground activity, but it's a carefully implemented activity. Between those monthly services... Um, and they are printed on the other side of your bulletin insert there. Between these monthly services, uh, uh, we are hosting training sessions with both of our teams, the smaller leadership team, the larger planting team. We do this in order to acclimate people to the new missional task before us. Now, more details are coming regarding those trainings, but for those on the broader planting team, they'll likely occur once a month, in addition to the once-a-month service there. Uh, incidentally, if you're not sure if you want to join the planting team or not, but you want to wait till after the first service occurs so that you can see what's happening on the ground, that's fine too. Like, there's, there's not like an ironclad system with this thing. Um, so the goal is simply this. Like, what is our end goal? Here's our end goal. To create a gospel outpost in Franklin that unashamedly placards Christ and him crucified so that people can be saved. That's the goal. Sounds very plain, but we try not to mince words with you up here. Like, that's the business we're in. It's because we believe in the wild exoneration, absolution, and acquittal of sinners through the blood of Christ. That's what we want to do. And our goal is that that church, inspired by that message and strengthened by it, 
uh, would grow to be, by God's infinite grace, an independent, self-sufficient, and seed-sowing body. We always want to have a mutual relationship of love, support, and prayer with it, but we want this Franklin plant to grow so that it can, in turn, plant its own church, sow seeds, uh, and have an effect that is 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. On a personal note, and quite a relevant one, let me convey just how proud I am of uh, our agrarian, our Eric Phillips, and his diligent work uh, in this effort. Eric, although he would not say this and, and is embarrassed when I say it, is a hyper-capable, gifted leader with a profoundly rooted character. Um, he was also a successful church planter before when he was a Baptist pastor. Eric uh, is theologically wise, gospel-enriched, loving, and sacrificial as a leader. He knows the sower, and he is some of that good soil in whom the word of the kingdom has taken root. I trust him fully and without reservation. I would tell you otherwise. I would be nice about it, but I would give you some warnings in some ways. I am not warning you. You can trust him, and I believe that he's here for such a time as this. Lastly, uh, let me remind you of our, that is Grace Anglican's humble origins. We were planted by a congregation who saw on a Sunday morning a maximum of 80 people. The church was in Cranberry Township, and no one in that church knew anyone from Grove City or from Slippery Rock. There were just a few people from Grove City who happened to be going there for worship. The rest of the congregation had no contact. It was a humble church of modest means. And when we began this enterprise, friends, we had no money. No money. And we had six residents. And at that time, the Episcopal Church, out of its drive for inclusion and tolerance, was suing us. That was funny what I just said. I was suing us. And so even the, like, the church planting loans that would have helped us uh, were not arriving. Um, and so we had no money and only six residents. I was the 25-year-old church planter with no church planting experience and very limited leadership experience, and a man of mediocre talents. That last bit hasn't really changed very much. But we did trust one thing, and it was our saving grace, so to speak. We trusted that the gospel was enough, and it didn't need to be added to. And the moment that you started adding to it, you ruined Christianity. We do not believe in adding to the gospel. It is enough. And we prayed something like this. Jesus, please do something so wonderful here that we know you're the one behind it. And long story short, he did. He did. Members of this church, many of them students at that time, have gone off to various places and have planted, at least at my last count, 10 churches from this church um, from all over. There's one in Anchorage. My friend is actually the rector there now. One in Kansas City, one in Morgantown, one in a foreign country called Florida. Um, uh, I, I want to see this happen again for the sake of the wild gospel and the generous farmer Christ and for the sake of those who live in Franklin. You know, we can't predict the future. Uh, we can't distinguish between the soils. We don't know all the details about the context. We are only human. Uh, we don't know these things, but we do know the sower. And we know his generous heart, his scandalously generous heart, and the seed that he scatters. Not everybody does, you know. Some people think that if there is a God, a God is entirely disengaged with them and the world, or that God is just the universe with no direct expression of care for anybody. Uh, but we know this generous sower gave his life as a ransom for many and writ love in crimson letters. And we want other people to know that too. Yes, the American church is hemorrhaging. 
I've read all the stats. Like, I understand. Yes, Gallup. I know. All the stats. The Catholic Church is scandal-clad, and the evangelical church is unmoored and politically insane. What are you going to do? I don't know. But really, what are we going to do? Clutch our pearls, hide our heads in the sand like ostriches, or cower in the corner? How about no? How about not that? Instead, how about we give away what we have been so freely given? How about we become a tick more generous in the direction of the wild-eyed farmer? And how about we sow the gospel of God's radical absolution in Franklin? Will you help us? Amen.